You're listening to the Farming Fix podcast, a podcast where I, Martin Cavanaugh, speak to innovative farming people about what's new in the ever-changing industry. This week, I speak to Graham Parker, otherwise known as the Hoof GP, about lameness and hoof trimming. Graham is really well known for his fun and informative videos on YouTube. Graham Parker, aka the Hoof GP. His history is going to speak for itself. There's a million subscribers and there's, you know, 230 million views of people looking at at crazy hoof videos. This is <laughs> this is an amazing achievement. Give me a little bit of your background, Graham. Say hello. Hello. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. There are a million subscribers right now on YouTube. So originally, I'm a farmer's son from a beef and sheep background. We had about mm-hmm. 650 acres or so right on the southwest coast of Scotland. Loved my childhood. Absolutely loved the whole farming thing. Just engorged in it. And my whole future was farming and it was mm-hmm. the cows that I was mostly interested in. But then my father passed away when I was around 15 years old. And uh, mm-hmm. as things do, you go down different routes in life. And uh, I had a big stint in the hospitality industry, working across the northwest of England, right the way up to the very, very high hills of the northern Scotland. And now I'm back home. I moved back home around 12 years ago. My stepfather, who obviously my mother had remarried, he Mm. had been a foot trimmer for 27 years. So Mm. I slotted back in nicely. I was reluctant to come back to Wigtonshire, which is the area of Scotland I'm from. And now I wouldn't move anywhere else in the world. I absolutely love being home and I love doing what I'm doing. So yeah, I'm pretty much living the dream, which sounds a bit too good to be true, a little bit like it's cliched, but it's true. (laughs) Yeah, but in fairness to you, Graham, it comes across in the videos. I can see it in your boots. You're rooted into the soil of your area and your neighbours and the people and the animals and so on. And you found a very, I suppose, a comfortable and comforting slot for yourself or place in the world. That's really nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely correct. I actually moved back originally to help my stepfather because he'd gone Mm. into hospital Mm. and I was freeze branding because obviously you can't just pick up a knife and start foot trimming. So I was freeze branding and I told everybody I would never hoof trim and everybody kept saying, yes, you will. Yes, you will. And um, apparently my attention to detail in the world of freeze branding meant people were keen for me to take up hoof trimming. And uh, once I did, I've never looked back. I absolutely I love it. Mm. I think it's the fact that it's not one dimensional. With freeze branding, for instance, you can learn how to do it in an hour and that's about it. I've been hoof trimming for just over 10 years now and I literally learn every single day. Again, it's not a cliche. It's not just a coined phrase. It's 100% true. That's interesting. I think one phrase you said there I think is really valuable. Your attention to detail, it actually comes across in the videos quite well. And even though like you're having some fun and, and, and you're making it very accessible for people to watch it, I think your attention to detail does stand out. And I think anything to do with animals from a vet's point of view, uh, where I come from, it's that ability or that willingness to learn every day makes an enormous difference to your customer. And I can see where some of maybe if you're involved in hospitality, your customer service head is knocking around in there somewhere, I think, Graham. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that probably, in fact, that definitely is fair to say. I actually class myself as being in the customer service industry, not in the agricultural industry, although both are true. Mm. But first and foremost, I'm there to do what is good for my customers and their Mm. business is business to business. So they are looking for me to make them more money. Like when you really, really hone into it and tone it down, that is what a lot of farmers are looking for. And it just so happens out that animal welfare being increased transfers into better profits. Not always, but usually. And in this case, it definitely is true. So me helping to look after my customers means they really want 
to get on board with what we're doing. And that's really inspiring for me because it means the better job that I've done, the more we've become busier and busier to the point of we stopped taking customers on about five years ago. We retain all of the customers that we've got. So first and foremost, I am in the customer service industry because I'm meeting the needs of my customers. And I think a lot of contractors out there sometimes forget that it's customer service that we're doing. Yeah, it, it's, it sounds, yeah. yeah, I yeah. know what people might listen to this like oh, customer service, but that really is what we're doing. And it just so happens that my service is improving the hoof health of these farmers' herds. It's something that I'm really passionate about. I, I look, and it comes across, I, I think your passion for it comes across, and, and which is interesting because sometimes the whole area of sort of hoof trimming, hoof health, even within animal health circles, it, it's regarded that as a dirty, sloggy end of the job. And, and you're translating it into when you talk about the whole customer service piece, and, and maybe we're using the wrong words, but I think that client service, service through the animal, through the welfare, it's joining up a lot of the dots for that particular client. Yeah, we offer a full package. So you'll get, that's not me trying to bundle it into some Mm. sort of marketing campaign. My job is to trim cow's feet. But with Mm. trimming cow's feet should come somebody who is there to be able to help sort of Mm. bring on the environment that these cows are living in. Somebody who can advise on why a cow's feet on the front are growing quicker than they are on the back. Somebody who can advise why these cows have got soul fractures on the inside left foot. You know, it's really, really important. And there are farmers, advisors out there specializing in this. And I think that is really fantastic. I really do. I know most of them. But I also think that hoof trimmers in general should be able to pass on this knowledge. I think it's part of our jobs. Mm. Just so much as when we arrive at a farm, when we leave that farm, it's cleaner and it's tidier than it was when we got there. Not maybe marginal, not by a huge way. Sure. Yeah. But it is cleaner and tidier. And It sounds silly, but that was one of the things when I first started out as a hoof trimmer, I always thought, I wonder what can uh, set me apart. I don't want to be cheaper than everybody. I don't want to be more expensive. Mm. So I thought, right down the middle, do the job better than everybody else. And then at the end of the day, the the dairyman a lot of the time has a big say-so in the hoof trimmer. So I thought, make sure I'm clean and tidy, because if that's the only difference between me and the next guy... Well, so be it. <laughs> yeah, so. and that's and that's again watching your videos, and I I was watching through some of them, and you do kind of twelve, you know, twelve minute, fifteen minute videos, and I really find it interesting at the end yourself and Craigie Boy cleaning up your crate and the the standard of cleanliness and hygiene of the equipment you're bringing between farms. And it's all those little touches. I remember often saying to new vets who started off in practice and so on, often it's the way you get out of the car. It's how clean those boots are. It's, it's your approach to maybe cleaning your boots. It allows you to have that little bit of a chat with someone. It's all those little things build into a relationship of trust. Oh, absolutely. If we pull up and the first thing that happens when we open the door is an old packet of crisps and a Coke can fall onto the floor, <laughs> does it set the scene, does it? I also, I remember um, when I first started out, I always wanted to be cleaner than other people and things, but something that really, really rung home to me was there was um, a good hoof trimmer actually in my area and I was trying to tell somebody about him. I was saying, oh, such and such um, does uh, that farm. And she said, oh, who's that? Who's that? And I was trying to explain to him and he said, it's not the guy with the really dirty crush, is it? And I said, yeah, that's him. (laughs) And we both knew who we were talking about. But actually I knew that this particular guy is an exceptionally good hoof trimmer. Well, is he an exceptionally good hoof trimmer? The craft of actually trimming a hoof, yes. But when it comes to biosecurity and things, I am constantly harping on about, excuse me, about mortal arrow or digital dermatitis or whatever you want to call it. I'm harping on about that. So the route to getting rid of dermatitis is cleanliness at the end of the day. So how can I Mm. then turn up to my job 
covered in excrement from everybody else's farm sure. and tried to preach the non-converted. But it's not going to stand, is it? So yeah, it just doesn't wash. And I and like okay, I mean, we've all probably we've listened to the likes of Roger Blowy and various people talking about you know the transmission of martial art organisms and knives and equipment and raising the flag that the guy is coming into you, the guy or girl is coming into you, treating yeah. those animals that they, you know, that they have a standard of hygiene. And as vets, again, we have responsibilities around how we behave with this. So the optics and what you do, because what I find really interesting is that you've got loads and loads of people watching uh, some of it pretty gruesome cow foot uh, cleaning and surgery yeah. and pulse and abscess and so on. But yet there seems to be um, there's a process, there's a dignity to, to it that people seem to uh, seem to get. And, and you have a yeah. very neat process there. You know, how does that fit with you? So to go through the evolution of the YouTube channel, I didn't start a YouTube channel to start a YouTube channel. Mm. What happened was I was constantly trying to explain to farmers what was wrong with their cows, and what we needed to do to get them back on the road to recovery or just precisely how severe something was. So I was taking photographs, as probably many people who are listening to this podcast do. But I was always trying to say, oh, yeah, but your cow was slightly different and try to explain mm. it. So I would show these pictures around and I thought, you know what, I should just make some videos and then I can point my farmers in that direction. So I don't need to keep showing them these photographs on my phone. And it started getting picked up by Joe Public. And what started happening was there's a, a very famous YouTube clip, you maybe haven't seen it, of a herd of cows in Russia, actually, that are all exceptionally lame. Mm. And I thought, well, on my farms, I have these cows that look exactly like that. But my farms really, really go to town with their herd hoof care. So what's not working here? Why is Joe Public thinking that is terrible? Well, we need to explain it. They just don't understand it. What happened on the channel was there was an interesting thing where a cow that's quite infamous on the channel called Cow812, she had had an E. coli and lost a huge amount of weight because of that. She was really, really lame. Now, people, the, the lean cows go lame or the lame cows go lean, the mm. argument will roll on. Mm. But this cow had become very lean, so the digital cushion had completely diminished. Mm. So mm. effectively, her bone structure inside the hoof capsule was going straight down onto the corium. And of mm. course, if you took away all the padding from your shoes and you walked about on mm. gravel, mm. you would have blistered. And that is what happened to this cow. But this was an extreme case. And I thought, we can take this cow and we can show the full recovery of this cow. It might take nine months, but it will be a full recovery. And we can show what goes into it. And why it happened and explain why this cow looks terrible and emasculated. And it really, really sort of captured people. They started to realise that actually it's not in the farmer's interests to have these cows lame. So yes, you do see cows in the fields that look terrible, that are maybe stuck on their sides and can't stand up. But something is probably being done about it. And we were showing the extremes that, so obviously I was involved, the vet was involved, the farmer was involved. And we deliberately tried not to do anything extra. We deliberately tried to just treat it as we were treating every other cow, but we happened to film every time we treated her. Sure, and okay. She came full circle and she came back to full health. But off the back of that, she would relapse after sort of three or four months. And to me, that actually, maybe from the public's perception, that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story was her getting back to full health. But for me, her relapsing actually was the most important part because when a cow becomes lame, she pumps the blood to the foot to try to fix that lameness. So if it's an infection or an ulcer site or whatever it is, she's pumping blood. She's putting all of her energy into it. And that calcifies the bone. So the bone starts to become really bulbous and the spiky projections on it. So she's infinitely more likely to become lame again. So I had been fixing all these cows on the YouTube channel thinking this is great. And then it dawned on me one day, wait a minute, 
this might appear to farmers that, wait, it's fine if these cows go lame because we can fix them. And that is true, but it's so much more important to stop a cow ever going lame because in the case of Gracie or cow 812, we did do the whole thing. We got her back to full health, but because the bone inside of her foot had all of these spiky projection on it, she kept going lame again and again. So if she hadn't been lame in the first place, we wouldn't have had the story, but we also wouldn't have had a cow that kept getting lame again. And that's yeah. one of the biggest things we need to sort of get into our heads. Yeah, that whole idea, when I'm looking at the YouTube channel, I'm looking at it as a vet, I suppose, and I'm looking at all the work that I do is preventative and consultative. But we're, we're looking at animals that are, you know, they're in quite extreme. A lot of these are in extreme states of lameness or extreme states of hoof overgrown and so on. Yeah. And they're, they're very good examples of what can go wrong. But you made a point to me when I was chatting to you before, one of your bugbears is, do we really know the difference between therapeutic trimming and preventative trimming? And so, so what's top in your list? Yeah, so we went back to a farm that had stopped using us because there was a big change in management. And they actually had six, uh, 78% lameness. And he said, what cows should we concentrate on? And I said, well, if you've got a budget to stick to, which I don't think you should have, but if you have, we should concentrate on the ones that aren't lame. And he says, ridiculous, we won't get our lameness percentage down. I said, that's right. Your lameness percentage also won't increase. For the last few years, it's been increasing and increasing and increasing because you're not treating any of the cows that are starting to become lame. And his, um, his perception of lameness had changed. Now, this is something we find all the time. You'll have a farmer who has 500 cows and he has the average lameness for the, for the UK, which is between 24 and 26%. So he has around, what's that? I can't even think. 125, 150 yeah. cows, yeah. There you go, that are lame. Mm. And then you have one of my best farmers just now who is on about 1% to 2% lameness. Mm. And his, his lamest cow, it's an emergency. She needs into the crush. But his lamest cow is one that this farmer with 24 25% lameness doesn't even see. He doesn't think yeah. she's lame. Mm. And that has to change. Lameness is when a cow is feeling any pain or any discomfort within her foot. Now, that might not mean she is extremely lame. She's showing all these terrible signs, but she is uncomfortable. So... She's not producing as much milk as she could be. She's not in as good a fertility state as she could be. And that's all because she's not walking as far as she normally would, i.e. to the feed fence, to the water trough. She's not mulling around the other cows. So all of our hormone status is reducing her food intake, her water intake. It's all reducing. And this might only be on a very minute scale, but it's still reducing. So I don't know what the average price of a foot trim is in the UK, but we're £9 per cow if it's every two weeks. Now, £9 per cow, if you trim your cows three times a year, you can't tell me that £27 a year on every one of your cows isn't money well spent if it can radically reduce the possibilities of her going lame. I mean, I suppose, look, if we look at cost, and this is all, a lot of these figures are trotted out, and sometimes it's hard to make the connection between the money and the, and the work of lameness. But, you know, 300 quid for a lameness case is probably reasonable in terms of it's your lost opportunity in that cow. They're prey animals, they're slow moving, they're very stoic. By the time you actually see any element of pain, a ruminant animal, like they're often in 12 bells of pain because they're not going to show any weakness as being yep. a herd prey animal. So, our function really is to get them back in the herd so they can function normally as a herd animal, not just even as an individual. They can be part of that herd. So I, I see exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm not against what I'm about to talk about. I'm absolutely not against it. I'm all for it. We put cows in an environment that is completely unnatural to them. We're putting them mm. generally on concrete mm. and generally they're not walking that far. You now have a, an environment 
which is not conducive to a cow, a cow's natural environment, i.e. she should be walking quite far, so she should be wearing her feet more than she is. And the, mm. the land, the ground that she's walking on should give a little. A cow's foot inside has a pedal bone. Most people listening to this will know that. The pedal bone is triangular, but at the back of the pedal bone, there's a thing called the flexor tuberosity, and that's basically a little anchor. So if everybody listens to this, imagines the deep flexor tendon, so that big tendon like the hamstring running down the back of a cow's leg, it attaches to this anchor on the bottom of our pedal bone. Well, towards the back, but slightly on the bottom. But it projects downward. Now, the reason that matters is, if she is walking on ground that is soft, if she has feet that are the correct length, it means her feet are striking the ground at the right angle, which is about 50 degrees. Mm. So her foot is striking the ground at the right angle. So that bony tuberosity right at the back of the pedal bone is landing semi-flat, and that's how it's designed to land. But it's also being cushioned by the grass underneath her foot. So the sole flexes. If you stood on a piece of Lego and you're wearing your trainers, it wouldn't matter too much because your base of your trainer would absorb that. And that's what's happening when a cow walks on grass. The pedal bone is pushing down into the corium mm. and into the fat pad, but it's also flexing the sole. But mm. the ground underneath it should be able to accommodate this flex. Concrete doesn't accommodate that flex. So what happens is the corium, the bit that grows the horn, takes every ounce of pressure from that pedal bone. Now, if you then add into overgrowth, or rather underwear of the cow's feet, her foot is now hitting the ground at the wrong angle because her toes are kind of lifted up off the ground. So now this flexor tuberosity is pounding into the corium at the wrong angle and with nothing to cushion it underneath. And we expect the cow's foot not to bruise and not to go lame. This is this key behind, you know, you're looking at the bleeding in that softer yep. foot. You're looking at the arrival of the soul ulcer that gets yeah. you and that you have this chronic level of therapy. You get her back. She comes back. She relapses. And really what you're saying, Graham, is that fundamentally our environment, the systems we create in the environment, they're really contributing to damaging the functional anatomy of the cow. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond repair as well. So if we're getting to that point where you can't, where you're not intervening early in that process yeah, or even right. before that process is even starting to occur we're now getting into a situation that we're going to shorten that cow's life and cause her to be in pain yeah and it's absolutely true it's not just hearsay it's not just a few scientists in a room mm. telling us this this is absolutely true if a cow has bruising on its foot well don't think of bruising as bruising think of what it really is is the corium bleeding? This is bleeding happening. Now, you can't tell me if a part of you bleeds. It's not. There's not some sort of pain attributed to it. Just this is the same as us. If, if we had a cut on our hand, it might scar up. Now, mm. the corium inside and the pedal bone are going to scar up. Fair enough, it's mm. not called scarring. It's calcification or whatever it is or thickening. Sure, sure. Um, but it's the same thing. And now this cow's anatomy has changed. And it's just because we didn't routine tremor at the appropriate time. I mean, in some farms' cases, we have completely and utterly removed soul ulcers. 100%. You never get them. You just don't get them. Things like white line, it's obviously that's a, almost a purely environmental problem and we can vastly reduce them. But when it comes to soul ulceration, you can 99.9% .9 remove them from your farm if you intervene at the appropriate time. Now, when I say the appropriate time, that's not... Uh, that's yeah, not the, it, there's about 300 farmers screaming at the podcast going, what's the appropriate yeah, time? Yeah, there is, yeah. What's the appropriate time? So Sorry. throw out an opinion, even a thought on that one, Graham. Yeah. Well, officially, it's two and a half times a year, isn't it? So you're, yeah, you're lots of things are officially something. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, yeah. talking, you're talking every five months. 
Now, growth bees where? So mm. a cow's hoof grows roughly seven millimeters per month. Mm. Uh, a cow's hoof does not wear at any set speed. Your environment is completely different to my environment. Sure. So they're wearing at all different speeds. The dryness, the climate, the amount of uh, moisture has a huge, huge effect on wear. So it really is horses for courses. Now, I'm not just going to dive out of this one and say, oh, that's it. Like, do it yourself. Mm. But what we have got, and it's a really good example, is... We have a, a grazing farm that has around 1,500 cows. And when I first started trimming for them around six years ago, they were asking me to routine trim. And obviously, I, I, I took the money and I ran. And I said, yeah, that's fine. We'll do it. When I say I took the money and ran, I'm only joking. I just wanted mm. to please the customer. We're not he giving was, out to you. Fully yeah. understand where you're going there. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was asking me to do a job. I did the job. Yeah, but when it, when it came to the second year, I said, look, these cows are fantastic at looking after their own feet. 60% of the herd are at least. The other 40%, maybe not so much. And he said, so do we just routine trim them? So what we do now is, it took a, a little while to get onto this, is they are lucky enough to have two fantastic um, rotary parlors. But any overgrowth or any uneven weight distribution between the back claws is not tolerated at all. If it's a big enough thing for the guys to notice there's an imbalance between the two back claws, she's drawn out. And that is as simple as that. And that's what we do for every one of these cows. Now, there are some cows in that herd that I have never trimmed. Mm. This herd, and I'm not lying here, I don't know the exact percentage, but the lameness is between zero and one percent. And in fairness, Graham, like our expectation, I suppose, like I deal with a huge number of cows and grazing environments in the, in the south of Ireland. And, and we, we looked at this and this is a real important point, looking at stuff completely differently. So I think to answer the question of when you should trim or routine trimming, it is very dependent on the environment and it's very dependent on the guy's system, the cow type, how we're yep. feeding them, how wet that environment is, how dry it is. Yep. So I do think before you make these sort of decisions or saying to farmers, maybe get someone to have a look at that and see see what the experience is and see what the knowledge is around that. And so if someone like yourself comes in and say, okay, I can assess this farm over six months and maybe then I can come up with a really neat plan for you. Yeah. Is is, is, is that reasonable, Graham? Absolutely. You, you can visit a farm and recommend, but it'll never mm. be a truly sort of informed opinion until you've been there and trimmed these animals at least mm. twice. Mm. Because how can you evaluate how much they've grown between those two? What happens is you get a rule of thumb and that rule of thumb is usually all cows should be trimmed at dry off, all cows should be trimmed at 100 mm. days. And then it kind of goes, and then whatever. Else. And then whatever happens after <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, sure. When are we going to bring in the hoof trimmer? Who's going to look at cows? Who's going to pick them up? I think as a vet or dairy consultant, my issue with protocols is how do we design the system where we know that, that the cows that are going lame, those early lame cows are picked up? Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot about man management. It comes down to, I mean, we could we could really go off on lots of tangents here. But the reason for protocols is because people who work on farms don't have real ownership over those cows. They're mm. not as invested as the farmers are. Now, that's not the case for everybody, obviously, but it is the case for some people. It should really be that overgrowth and imbalance isn't tolerated because that is when these problems start arising. If you can keep a cow's feet completely balanced, and if they're completely balanced, it usually means that they're right length and the right angle. If you can do that, well, you can't do any more, can you? There's mm. nothing else you can do. What we do is on farms that really insist on protocols, which most of our farms actually do, then we try to trim them between three or four times a year. And we don't really class it as trimming them. We class it as checking them. So the farm, for instance, that I was talking about that we just uh, grazing here with 1,500 cows, now we lift all four feet. It's actually very rare that we even touch the front feet, mm. but we do mm. lift them because they're in the cush, so we might as well. We always mm. trim the back feet because they're, they're always imbalanced on the ones that have been pulled out. Mm. Mm. But 
it goes to show that we can lift the front feet and not touch them. Like that's quite hard to decision make, especially when the when the camera yeah. stood right next to you. Yeah, <laughs> this is probably a, a bugbear of mine is that we've had some really interesting protocols of grazing herds where people have been mobility scoring, say every two weeks, every three weeks, and they're picking out the score twos, threes. Threes are generally dealt with our chronics, but they're picking up the twos, and that's really good. But I've ended up in a situation coming out of some farm saying, every time you pick them up, stop using your equipment to clean the foot to have a look. Yes. Okay, because <laughs> my, my grazing cow, as you know, you you can assess this much better than I can, Graham. I'm talking about we're short on mills of foot. Okay, we don't yeah. have a lot, particularly with a long walk in some of these bigger herds and they're hitting concrete and so on. But I've just seen too much. The equipment, be it a, be it a grinder or knife, is lifted to do a bit of cleaning. We get a couple of slices to have a look. And the next thing we know, I'm getting cows that are getting misshapen feet or they're getting a situation that we're collapsing the heel just a little bit, which yeah. means that we're running into a bit of bother. Is there, again, is it reasonable for me to say that? Is that within your experience that you've seen that, Graham? Or do we really need to be that careful? I've not just seen that. I'll be honest, I've done it. Mm. <laughs> Earlier in my career, I didn't think those mills mattered in some places. And it takes time to learn and adjust. And I'm lucky that I did go out and I did see, you would not believe how many conferences, how many different academies, how many schools of thought that I've learned um, over the course of my career. Just I'm an inquisitive type of person. So luckily, I came around to realising how important these millimetres are. Mm. So if mm. you take, for example, the perfect sole thickness on a cow is about five millimetres. It does mm. change from a small jersey to a large Holstein, but it's about five millimetres. So if you take a swipe away with your grinder, <laughs> you're down. You're now down to four millimeters, and you've yeah. just reduced the thinness by twenty percent. Just in case that you come back three weeks later in mobility score, and you still a two, and you go and have another little look. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and well, and we see it happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, interestingly enough, and um, to stop that, we actually use um, infrared heat detection. And it, it really works. The reason I've brought it back in, Craigie Boy that works with me, he's new to hoof trimming. He's been doing it for a year now. He's actually really, really good and really conscientious. But he was having difficulty finding that little black dot of death that we call it when you get mm-hmm. an infection in the white line. And on it, so a nicely looking foot, cow that has an infection in the white line, he wasn't sure where to go. So on occasion, he was going slightly too far, like as in a, using a search cut. That old, yep. that old phrase. So we got him an infrared camera and all he does now is if he's not sure, he's shine infrared camera at it. The foot will glow in the dark because of the amount of heat coming from the infection and he knows exactly where to go. So we nice. can't really we can't put a foot wrong. So we put systems in place. That's what I'm getting at. We put systems in place to make sure that we're not doing those search cuts or cleaning feet that we don't need to clean, mm-hmm. rather that we don't need any height off. So if there's a particularly dirty farm, we'll make sure there's a hose there or a bucket there or a yeah. brush yeah. or something. Today, for instance, we were at a fantastic farm that has five Lely robots and he now has a heifer barn mm. for training them in and uh, it's fresh concrete. So we're getting a lot of really thin soles. Mm. Now, mm. the first thing I said to Craig was when we got there, don't use the grinder to begin with, like feel it out with your hands because most mm. of these cows aren't even lame, but they've got verging on thin soles. Yeah. Again, we're not doing anything. The farmer stood right next to me, looking at me, thinking that's nine pound a cow and he's not touched it. <laughs> you know, but it's, you need to yeah. have this. this sort but of you're paying, and I think guys have to realize too, you're paying the nine pounds for the person to make the right decision. You know, yeah. I think I think that's re- really important. If I kind of move it, move it a little bit and we're kind yep. of getting into that whole area where we're trying to protect that foot as well as do the right thing for the foot, uh, you, you know, at the time. 
on that environment piece, getting the cows off their feet, getting them off the concrete. How long do you need your your ladies off the concrete? How do you view that? Or is, is that something that you advise on on firm? By off the concrete, do you mean lying times? or Lying times. I mean, I suppose I'm very fond of the term away from bed and food. What's the waiting cow doing? What's she waiting for? Why is she standing on her four feet? Does she need to be standing there? It's quite a difficult one for me, this actually, um, which maybe I shouldn't admit to. But because I am an inquisitive person, as I've previously mentioned, I watch a lot of things like The Secret Life of Cows. So cows have a real hierarchy amongst them and they like to interact with each other. They like to commune and they like to sort of loaf around. But to differentiate where they're sort of loafing around and uh, mixing with the other animals and where they're not wanting to go and lie down because they're not wanting to be away from the feed. Because not only do lying times change when a cow has sore feet, what happens was the pattern completely changes because she doesn't want to do the action of getting up because that really puts pressure on her feet. She doesn't want to do the action of getting down because that puts pressure on her feet. So the actual sort of pattern, the routine of the cow completely changes. So looking for those kind of things, if you have things like from Ice Robotics, they're fantastic because they show you mm-hmm. exactly the sort of movement of the cows. And that's why they're able to pick up on these lame cows. It's because their routine changes. Mm-hmm. So you do get cows that are still lying for the same amount of time, but it's actually the pattern as well that you need to somehow figure out this cow's patterns changed, her behaviors changed. Why is it changed? Could it be lameness? And again, mm. going back to the ice robotics, which is the cow alert system, and there are others like it, they're fantastic because they track the movement of the cows. Cows need to be off their feet. If cows are not lying down for the right amount of times, what happens is, I won't get too technical and bore everybody, but when you've got the sole of a cow's foot, you have the solar horn, which is obviously about the first two thirds, if you measure back from her toe, it's the first two thirds of her sole. Then that last part is called periopolic horn. And it basically is the cushion, the suspension. So she'll land on that. And it's really nice and soft, spongy horn. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. But there's a junction where those two types of horn meet. And the reason they're different is the periopolic horn has fewer tubules. So basically fewer strands of keratin mm-hmm. in amongst it, kind of. So it's softer. The solar horn is harder. Where that junction meets, it's really prone to splitting because mm. you've got two different densities of substances meeting. Mm. If a cow stands for too long, what will happen is on the base, so the very outer part of her hoof horn, it'll start to split. Now, during really hot periods of weather or if your beds are the wrong size or if you're collecting yards too long or if you're doing something like TB testing and your cows are all stood in a big pen together, these cows are standing for too long. And what happens is the sole of the horn, the very outer layer, will start to split on the junction. So two thirds of the way back of foot on the junction between the sole horn and this peripolic horn. You won't see any lameness whatsoever for about five weeks. That's how long it's going to take for the whole sole to wear off or that crack to crack all the way through the sole and reach the corium. Because we said earlier on, it's about five or six millimetres thick. Horn grows about six millimetres a month. So... What you get is you get this cow that has been standing up because she's too hot. So she she's trying to cool down by standing up or she's standing in this yard. She gets this little split. Then five weeks later, you get all these cows that go instantly lame. And everybody mm. thinks she's just gone instantly lame. What's really happened is she's instantly shown signs of this lameness because this crack has reached through. So lying times, purely, if I'm just purely thinking, cows um foot health status lion times are so crucial Mm. it's not true but it can be difficult because it's not something you see instantly so it can be something that people misunderstand a lot of the time people say that cows get ulceration and things from standing and it is true to a certain extent but more often than not it's a solar fracture so it would be 
on the inside claw or the medial claw of the back feet, about two thirds of the way back. And it's on that inside claw because when you look at a cow standing up, she mm-hmm. actually takes the weight off of her lateral or outside claw to give mm-hmm. it a bit of a rest. And she puts it all onto her inside claw. Mm-hmm. So that is where you get this cracking. I think sometimes we look at things a little bit, sometimes too simplistically in the sense of, you know, lying time, if they lie down for 12, 14 hours, it's all great, but it's the type of lying. And Mike, again, if you've lame cows, they have different patterns of lying because they don't want to lie down. And they often, they're the ones who are standing on your lovely soft mattress or your soft bed, whatever, for an extended period. So, so I think how we interpret what, lying is and what standing is is very important and i i do hear a lot more about the those type of necrotic conditions you're talking about where you're getting actual you know blood flow dying off fracture you know yeah. you're ending up with these these serious problems in the front of the foot i think in the in the interests of of the audience i think digital dermatitis is probably uh wrecking a lot of heads out there and how they feel about it and everybody has their magic bullet and crazy stuff that they want to do and and you know whatever can they tell me what it is then can, <laughs> uh, hey, it, it's it's the same answer because I suppose I look at if we behave with good routines and good routine stuff and we keep clean and we do stuff well, often, we, you know, we can get this under uh, under control. But if you were to give your your top couple of tips, you're you're dealing with a herd, it's got digital dermatitis. Where are you going to go to first? What, what are the things that are really important for you to do here? So if we just talk about the complete... Uh, sort of unachievable scenario, right? Mm. We get we get these heifer cows that are really, really clean and shiny and we put them in a brand new facility with no manure anywhere. And we make sure that there's no manure anywhere ever. It literally, they don't even defecate on it. They don't let themselves go completely clean. Will those cows get dermatitis? No, they won't. Because there is no manure around about to give them dermatitis. Now that's the starting point. So everywhere below that is getting away from the starting point and we need to fight our way back to the starting point. Cleanliness is the absolute key element to digital dermatitis. But I know it; it's not completely achievable. But what we can do is we can reduce the circumstances in which cows are wading through. Sorry, I say wading. It doesn't need to be that deep. It's an inch and a half. It's slightly too much. You're getting the backs of the heels caked in manure and it's the perfect breeding environment for cows' feet. Now, in Sweden and Norway, there are actually farms that let their cows out into the snow to run around. And the reason is it cleans that cleft, that right up in the interdigital space, mm-hmm. gets it really, really shiny clean. And dermatitis can't live in oxygen. There used to be a school of thought where they thought dermatitis couldn't live for more than 20 minutes. That has been disproven. But it can't live for extended periods of time in a clean environment. So in other words, when, when there's oxygen present. So that the cleaner we can get these cows' feet, the better. Then after that, We can't, let's admit defeat, we can't get the cow's feet. We all know that there will be manure on there, but we need to get the the standards of cleanliness as high as possible to try to extract the best from these cows and make more money at the end of the day by making these cows more productive because they're healthier. Mm. So if we can't get them as clean as possible, we need to put a hoof bath system into place. And again, I hate to harp on, but it is not a one size fits all. I have farms that quote unquote don't have dermatitis but they foot bath seven days a week. Mm. If they don't foot bath seven days a week, they They're have digital dermatitis. Yeah, gotcha. And they've just resigned themselves to that fact. But it is such a huge cost to these cows having dermatitis that they take it on the chin and they know how much more profitable the cows are because they're foot bathing seven days a week. Now, it is a slightly um, less, it's not as strong a solution. I'm talking about bluestone or uh, copper sulfate, depending on where you are. So my go-to is copper sulfate. 
it's antifungicide and it, I think it works fantastically well if the hoof bath is kept clean enough, if it's the right length, if it's the right depth and if it's changed often enough. I think it really can be good. And of course, you can add things like a detergent like fairy liquid or something because it's a surfactant. So it will actually help the bluestone or the copper sulfate be utilized better by the cow because it'll stick to the cow's feet more. So one of the biggest hurdles with bluestone is the cost. It is a very costly substance. But dermatitis is infinitely more costly. And it's not actually primary dermatitis that I find to be the most costly thing. When I mean primary dermatitis, what I mean is a cow that is lame purely because she has dermatitis. To me, it's more costly when a cow has a sole ulcer and the farm has a high prevalence of dermatitis because now you have effectively a hole in the cow's foot and she needs to grow hoof horn back to heal that hole. Well, she can't grow it back if digital dermatitis is present because it's eating it away. You try baking a cake and eating it at the same time, you, you'll not mm. finish up with a finished cake because it's disappearing. So with the best will in the world, the best hoof trim in the world, the best vet in the world, treating a white line problem, if there's digital dermatitis present on that farm, it is infinitely harder to try to cure that problem. And now you do have a very serious problem. You're going to get calcification of the bone and long, long-term lameness. So... When people say, oh, oh, she, she's just got dermatitis or she's just got mortal arrow, well, it's really not just mortal arrow. This is something that we need to get her over as quickly as we possibly can. It's something I have to push myself into saying because I'll be honest, it gets quite hard work forcing digital dermatitis cures down people's throats. But it does come back to cleanliness and consistency, like being absolutely thorough in your constant endeavor to make sure that dermatitis isn't present on your farm. This isn't something you're going to clear up and then yeah, you can go back to how you used to be. This is something that we all need to kind of change our ways if we're not on top of dermatitis. Some people are. Some people are completely on top of it. But if we're not, then we need to get on top of it if you want to make more money from your cows and make your cows last longer. Yeah, I, I think, I suppose, Graham, is going back to some simple and fundamental stuff. I mean, when we get the wider passages, when we get the drier ground, yeah. when we look yeah. at the stock and density, when we look after the young stock, we try and prevent it coming through. When we approach a foot bath like, you know, post-dip for milking, it's the combination of a lot of sensible things to reduce the impact of these bacteria on the yeah. skin. And that's what sometimes it gets a bit upsetting because the people want to once off, let's get in there for four days and cure it. You know, it doesn't happen. No. So there is um, a lady called Sarah Pedersen. Yeah, we are sorry. Yeah, yeah. So she's great. She's brilliant. And she's come up with a blitz approach. And the blitz approach, it's complete common sense. Pick up every cow that's got digital dermatitis and spray it until she doesn't have digital dermatitis. It's common sense. And mm. that is a fantastic way to kickstart your problem with digital dermatitis. But it's not something that you do and then you stop. It's something you do and then you're into your routine, you're into your regime and you're consistent. You go forward with that. But yeah, I think that the blitz approach is a fantastic way. If, if you're listening to this right now and you've got a problem with digital dermatitis, you can do something about it this week that will make a huge difference. You can pick up your cow's feet with digital dermatitis and you can spray them consistently and keep spraying them. There are so many products. There's no magical bullet here. You have things like Repiderma, Heelmax, um, obviously you have oxytetracycline and things that a vet would prescribe. You have antibiotical foot baths that we wouldn't recommend anymore, but they do work if you have an unbelievably bad thing. Copper sulfate, you can do all of these different things. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to give the cow a head start so she can fight dermatitis but she needs a helping hand. You need to get her mm. over the hill kind of thing. And then she needs to finish the job off. But yep. she's not going to do that without our intervention. And if you have a herd of cows with 200 cows right now and 60 of them have digital dermatitis, 
you pick them up this week, spray them three times this week, guarantee you next week your problems well, it could very nearly have halved, to be honest. I would really agree with that. I mean, I think that blitz approach and, and it's, it's a way of describing it. And also it doesn't involve massive bandaging. It doesn't involve, you know, it's actually get the leg up, have a look, give it a yep. clean off, a dry, get that spray. And, and what we're looking for in the sprays is a topical antibacterial. So you can yep. have natural things that will do that. You can have antibiotics that will actually do that. And then you get into your, your foot bathing regimes. And the, the great phrase that I learned in my travels from Carl Berge over in the States. I don't know if you know Carl. Yeah. Um, and he said, the most important ingredient in the foot bath is the length. <laughs> right. I think the key thing of contact time and, and getting that right and getting that clean is just so important. It's not a basics, isn't it, Graham? A lot of stuff you're talking about there is basics. Yeah. Just forget everything you know about farming. Just forget everything mm. you know about farming. This cow, this animal has something on the back of its heel that is caused by the mm. dirty environment. I'm not saying a particularly ridiculous dirty environment. I just mean dirt in the environment. Mm. Right, so you've got this animal, your dog. What are you going to do? You're going to leave it dirty and not treat it and hope it gets better? Mm. Or are you going to clean it and give it as much care as you can to get it over it? Now, you might have mm. two or 300 cows, but if that's what it takes to really make a difference and get the most out of these cows, then mm. that is what it takes. I know it's yeah. really easy for me to say. I know it is, but... Yeah, but but when we really look at it, we look at the nightmare of these diseases and the impact. And for instance, people invest a huge amount in sheds and beds and cubicles and environments and all this kind of stuff. But actually, if we fundamentally don't get the cow functional within those environments and the environment functioning for them, Absolutely. it's a massive waste of money. So there's a fellow over here, I don't actually recall his name. He used to talk about a shed could fit X amount of milk in it. Not X amount of cows, X mm. amount of milk. And there was a cap. And what he meant was you could put 100 cows that were fantastic, really beautifully kept, everything, Mm -hmm. and they would produce X amount of milk. Stick another 100 cows in there, and Mm -hmm. those 100 cows will now go right down because they're not as healthy, they're not as full of vitality, they're not visiting the food fence enough, they're not getting the good lying times. And to an extent, he's not 100% Mm -hmm. right, obviously, but to an extent, it definitely rings true. So those stocking densities that you mentioned 10 minutes ago, they are so crucial because mm. your slurry mm. depth is going to go up. Your vie for the optimal position at the feed fence, cows are going to fight. Cows are going to twist. Cows are going to turn more and more. And cows aren't supposed to turn corners. Now that sounds really... <laughs> no, but, oh, absolutely right. Yeah, they're absolutely not. Right. It sounds Wait, stupid, they're not. We talk about the cow being a rigid box on four legs, weighing 600 kilos, and it oh, has okay. to pivot everywhere. So yeah. you're really trying to pivot this little fixed bed truck around yeah. quite difficult angles. And it's also trying to carry a big room and full of stuff at the same time and, and move its body around it. So yeah. we need to think in cow sizes. Yeah. 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 When, when a cow turns in the wild, she doesn't pivot. She she takes a big wide arch way, doesn't she? Does. She does. Yeah. And then we and then we put her inside and we have these straight up and down parlors and then they have 180 degree twists. A right angle exit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, it can work for a while, but it's not going to work long term for the cow. Clearly it does work long term for the cows because there are people out there doing it. But what I'm saying is they're going to get problems in their white line because they're twisting mm. and literally mm. ripping the wall horn away from the sole mm. horn. So when it comes to areas that you want to put rubber in, the rubber then takes the brunt of problem from the cow because instead of the hoof horn twisting and contorting, the rubber will twist and contort. Mm. So if we really look at this stuff, okay, it really, in farming, it depends how tolerant we are a lot of the time on cow waste. Because if we prevent the wastage of our cows, we may have a much better story to tell. 
Graham, I'm going to leave you with kind of the last of it. If you had one thing you'd like to say to an audience of farmers, vets, people who are listening to this, if there was a one-liner, I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot, but <laughs> what, what would you like to say to those feet people out there or people who are looking at cow's feet? A one-liner. <laughs> the biggest thing could be is don't tolerate lameness. Don't stand for it. You wouldn't stand for mastitis. You would treat it instantly, get rid of it. Cow cannot be with mastitis and she should not be lame. And I don't mean that from a welfare point of view. I mean it from a business point of view. You cannot have these lame cows in your herd. You need to do everything you can about it to get her over this. And the sooner, the better. You asked for one line, didn't you? Is this one line? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I'm going to call it a hoof GP line. Okay. Just, just don't tolerate lameness. Just if a cow goes lame, get her in the crush that day, do something about it. And do something about imbalancing claws as much as you can. So I'm not talking about over trimming. I'm just talking about making sure that you mm. minimize the imbalance between the two claws as much as you possibly can. Mm. Okay, so if I'm going to take a few things out of it from what you've said, Graham, one size doesn't doesn't fit all. Get someone to look at your system. Get someone to look at what you need for your cow type, your system, what's going to work for that, be it grazing, be it indoors, and what sort of cows they are and how much they need. Is, is that a reasonable comment, Graham? Yeah? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so, so we want to do that. We really have to look at the work of lameness is constant. We must be consistent, consistent, consistent. We must work every day at preventing our cows being lame. Yeah. Another point. And again, and that feeds into the whole issue of tolerance. Our tolerance of lameness must be zero on the basis of that's going to drive us forward. Because also when we look at it is we have a covenant to care for and to keep. That's one thing as cow people. And I think the public expects it of us. The consumer demands it of us. Yeah. And again, the cow, we should respect the cow enough to actually give yeah. her that. And I think it's possible. I think you've demonstrated, Graham, with the tools you have and with your ability and skill that you can do it and the people can do this. It's not oh, just absolutely. you. I think I think everybody can do it. So yeah. I've had a real interesting time talking to you. It's a new experience having a chat with a YouTube star. So I, I, I'm going to have to go and get the T-shirt and all of that. So have a look at the Hoof GP on YouTube. And on that basis, myself and the Hoof GP are going to leave you. So thank you very much. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Farming Fix podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review, rate us, and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks very much.